Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hey, hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. It is the last day of November. Man. We are heading uh, so quickly into the Christmas. I know that we've are once you hit Thanksgiving, that's it. Uh, it's just a, a a locomotive just barreling down on Christmas. It's just I'm exhausted already. It's a lot, you guys, and it's cold. I know uh, Joan was talking about uh, you know when it's 50 degrees out, we wear shorts in Chicago. And man, yesterday it felt like it was balmy yesterday, and it is chilly and gusty out. Uh, and I was outside with some uh, friends of mine and uh, I was telling them, look, it's going to be 49 on Friday. These are the things I just swinging from vine to vine of hope out there. Uh, but it, it is very chilly this evening. So hopefully you're somewhere warm and uh, and taking care of yourself. I had a lovely afternoon. Uh, in addition to the work I was doing during the day, I was, I was invited to perform and participate in a uh, panel at University of Illinois, University of Illinois, Chicago, the UIC campus. And uh, it was a Latina event in the wake of uh, Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision. It was a forum to discuss uh, a lot of the uh, barriers that many people in the Latino community have when it comes to just healthcare access in general, and in particular, uh, women's autonomy and what it means for our community. And we each did. It was, uh, it was Hillary uh, Jimenez, uh, Janice Rodriguez and uh, and I was there, and we each performed some stand up comedy, talking a little bit about our backgrounds. And it was it was interesting because I rarely ever had the opportunity to perform um, sort of this specific of material when it comes to our bodies and our heritage, uh, how our culture informs the way we approach uh, whether it's con- confrontations or um, just even our plans, our our, our destinies, uh, what we want to do with our lives, where we've been, and things like that. So it's rare. It's rare that I get to perform with women and and talk about the same topics because a lot of comedy clubs, a lot of bookers, not only do they not want to put two women on a show, they're definitely not going to put two Latinas on a show. Oh, they don't. No, no, no. Lady, we just spun around. No, no, no. They never they don't like to put more than one woman on one show. That's why I try. Oh, yeah. I remember I was working at a comedy club in the area and the feature act. So there's typically a, a traditional comedy show. If you go to like a Zany's or someplace like that, you'll typically have three comics. You might have four, like a guest set will drop by, but there's generally an MC, that's your host, a feature act or middle act, and then your closing act or your headliner. That's the way I do the shows, like at the Bourbon and Brass and at the Speakeasy. And I've booked like all three women. I've booked, a, you know, one another woman and another guy. Like I do it that way, but I showed up at a comedy club and the feature act was Emily Galati, really smart comic, tremendous writer, and completely different from the t- type of material that I do. Uh, she's a young single woman who, and she has a lot of f- uh, material about feminism. I don't write it explicitly. I, I, I sort of bake it into my storytelling. So I showed up at the club and uh, and I said, oh, you're, you're the feature act this week. And she said, yes, but the manager bumped me down to MC because he didn't want two women going up back to back. And it was the, I had to, I had to beg when I wanted, there's a woman named Carmen Lynch, incredible comedian. And uh, I'm a, I was a headliner and she was a feature act at the time. 
And she was trying to get into clubs here, and I had to beg the owners of a club to book her as my opening act, as a feature act, because we're just so wildly different. I mean, there look, there's a, like like Jim Flanagan. He's Irish and Mexican. I have to follow him sometimes. So there's people that might have similar premises or stories. And I have to tell you, it was so wonderful to perform with Janice and Hillary today. And uh, I'll tell you, I was kind of, I mean, Hillary was killing it. Janice was killing it. I had to go last. I was like... Oh boy, and I like I and I felt I've, I haven't done stand up comedy at uh, noon in a long time. It's a little different. You're not in a comedy club, and it's students. And these kids were amazing for our Q and A panel. A lot of great questions, uh, a wonderful conversation, a lot of questions about our careers and how did we uh, how do we stand up with you know all the the obstacles in our way throughout our careers. I am the old lady of comedy in Chicago. I don't mean that just. Um, I, I, it's just the fact of the matter. I'm one of the oldest women continuing to perform stand-up comedy. I mean, for the longest time, I've done comedy for over 25 years. There was a show I did recently, and the MC was about to bring me up, and she goes, "This comedian's been doing comedy for over 30 years." And I was like, "And it, that's for me to say, right?" But if, when you do it on stage as an MC, it's kind of like one, you're expecting somebody, you know, to kind of who's at the end of their career or it, and it also implies like, and this is as far as they've gotten. That's how we feel. Like I started laughing in the back of the room. I was like, that's not my introduction. If you are ever in the position to host an event and someone tells you how they would like to be introduced, please do me a favor. I don't care how funny you think you are or how clever you think you are or how you're going to spice it up a little bit. And believe me, I've made this mistake. I'm also speaking from experience. Please do not embellish. Do not make something up. Don't uh, try to riff or anything. Uh, I've had some of the worst introductions. Uh, One time there was an MC See, I was in the back of the room, and I remember thinking, I'd, I'd come in, we talked and stuff, and they just turned and walked away. And uh, and they got on stage, and I was like, oh, I guess they already know my bio. They already have, you know, they didn't ask me how I wanted to be brought up, and I didn't get a chance to tell them. <laughs> this comedian went on stage, and they finished their act, and they were like, all right, you guys ready for your, you guys ready for your headliner? Right? And, um, and, and I can't use the language he used, because he stopped, and I knew exactly what had happened. He couldn't remember my name. He couldn't remember my name. And he just stopped and he goes, ah. He said, let's just say he said poop. Oh, poop. But he said something else. He goes, ah, what's her name again? Ah, I know she's like done like some festivals or something like, hey, y'all, just a big round of applause for Stacy. I've had some really horrible introductions. And and when I say, please don't embellish, when someone tells you, and if they say, please don't say something, right, that means that they've probably had a horrible introduction in the past. I'll give you another example. I was in uh, Wisconsin back in the 90s, and uh, I I never, I I tried to stay away from saying I was from Chicago because the rivalry between Wisconsin and and, and Illinois is so significant. And, uh, And I said, just do me a favor. I said, just please don't say I'm from Chicago. Let me do that. Let me do it during my show. I, I'll win the crowd over, hopefully. And, and if I feel comfortable, I'll say I'm from Chicago. And uh, and I was sitting there with the owner of the club. And the MC went up and he thought he'd be funny. He goes, hey, everybody, your next comedian's from Chicago. And the whole room starts booing, just starts to boo. And I sat there at the table and I started laughing. I said, 
and, and I didn't come up there. I told them, if you say I'm from Chicago, you're not going to find me standing on stage next to you. And uh, I made them do a few more minutes of comedy. And the owner said, she told you. She told you what not to do. So please, if you are ever uh, in a situation where you're introducing somebody, ask them how they would like to be introduced and stick to that. Uh, If you're unsure of how to say their name, it's amazing to me the people that get um, kind of this, they they just get something, I don't know, they get nasty or insulted. Like I'll spell out my name, I'll do V-A-S or I'll do V-A-H. S because it's Vasquez, and then I'll do hyphen K E Z because so many people have brought me up as Vasquez or Velasquez. Lady B, I had someone bring me up as Patty Sanchez one time. Oh yeah, yeah. I and <laughs> it's like because I, I guess it's yeah no, no there's a Z at the end. It's all the same. Uh, so please, just it, it's really it's it's not just for the person that's coming up, uh, like not just for their feelings, but it also sets up their mood when they're about. To, I mean, public speaking. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of energy and confidence. And in those last 20 seconds of saying someone's name or their introduction, you can really have a negative impact on how everything is going to go for the next 10 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, anyway, so I, I, the, but the worst introduction I ever had in my entire career, I was, uh, I was about to record my first national TV spot for TBS's Very Funny Show. And uh, I went in and I had my whole, I've been hammering out my set every single night and uh, c- crafting it to every single word that I wanted to have down for this material. And uh, I was in the little foyer area at Zany's. Uh, there's a little curtain before you go out on the stage. And uh, and the MC asked me uh, how I wanted to be brought up. And I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, a regular here at Zany's. I'm a nationally touring headlining comedian. And I said, please just do me one favor. Please do not say anything about the way I look. I just, because he was kind of flirty and I just got the sense from him. And I had been, Lady B, the number of times I had been brought up, especially when I was younger, she's, you're going to be so surprised. She's hot. She's really cute. She's, uh, you know, she's, you all this stuff, right? And it's not a good way to bring up any comedian, but especially a woman in comedy, because I my appearance has nothing to do. If I wanted to be a model, if I wanted to, you know, do all those other things, I would have pursued that. I I get on stage to make people laugh and ha- and and you anger the women because now their guys are checking them out, right? And then the guys, like, they might go, "She's not that hot." Now everyone's in their heads for different reasons. So I said to this comic, I said, "Please just don't say anything about the way I, my appearance." That's all I said. He went on stage and goes, "All right, everybody." Uh, I need, I need you to prepare yourself for the next comedian coming to the stage. Uh, you know when you see a Corvette and it's just covered up in, do- in bird poop? He said, that's, that's how this comedian's face looks. Like, she's all messed up in the face, everybody. I just want you to be prepared for that. Like, you're going to look and you go, oh, man, but just know that deep down underneath that, underneath all that, that pigeon poop, uh, she's a beautiful person. And I walked up on stage and the whole room just was like staring at me completely confused. And I I had to do my set exactly the way I had written it for the national tape. This is just the rehearsal for it. Yeah, that was the worst intro I've ever had. So it was nice to do an event today. Uh, with two other women, uh, a really supportive atmosphere, and kids who were like curious about our careers, wanted to talk about our, our traditions, our cultures, our backgrounds. Uh, they wanted to talk about, uh, you know, 
the difference, I talked a lot about the differences on the panel. I talked about being in college and thinking that I might be pregnant when I was uh, 19 years old. The uh, doctor I went to go see, I was in uh, some discomfort and I went in uh, the, at the, I think it was called McKinley at the University of Illinois. And, uh, and I was just, I was in a lot of pain and the doctor, you know, started to examine me. And he goes, well, uh, from what you're telling me, it sounds like it's possible that you're pregnant. And then he left me alone for 40 minutes. I was, and I was dating, look, I was dating a nice enough guy, but I wasn't sure that that was who I wanted to be with. I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, am I prepared to have an abortion and terminate this pregnancy? And I went through all the different scenarios and it turned out I had a urinary tract infection, Lady B. He put that out there and then left me. I don't know if it was like a shaming thing to like sit here and think about what you've done kind of a moment, but uh, apparently all I needed was some cranberry juice and uh, all was fine. But I, I, I think about that sometimes. You know, that's sort of the I think about that now more because uh, I did not know that there was a woman named Rosie. uh, Oh, my gosh. They just told me about her today. There was a woman in 1977 who she was in college. She was six months from graduating. She had a five year old child. Um, She was trying to finish up and she found out that she was pregnant and she could not afford the to get an abortion safely, even though abortion was uh, available in 1977. She didn't, it wasn't covered by her care, her health care or Medicaid. And, uh, and she ended up going to somebody who was not a professional. She developed an infection and she died. Uh, and I, and I think about that, you know, she decided that she knew what she wanted to do with her future. This was not her time. And she, because she made that decision, she lost her life. Uh, Rosie Jimenez is her name. She was uh, the first woman known to have died in the United States due to an unsafe abortion after the Hyde Amendment was passed, which in 1977 cut off Medicaid funding for safe, medically supervised abortions. So that was someone I learned about today at this incredible event at UIC. So thank you, everyone uh, involved in that program today uh, for having me and for enlightening me as well. Uh, I hope that I, I shared some something that uh, was of value to the, the, the young people in that room today. More in a moment. I'll take your call, 773-763-9278. Coming up at 530, we are going to talk to our friend Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. And coming up after 6, uh, speaking of Latinas, we next week on December 8th, it is, uh, the, it's a Latina uh, Equal Pay Day. We earn, Latinas, earn 54 cents to the dollar of our, our white male counterparts. It, 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 if you just even the playing field and you look at the per job and 54 cents to the dollar. Everything's cool. Everything's great. More in a moment on WCPT 820. Thank you to our sponsors, Monaco Brewing, Kids Above All, and Warren Price from European and U.S. Car Service. We'll be right back on the Heartland Signal. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. All right. 
right. Got our text screen open. I want to thank Myrna for sending along this uh, article about the uh, possibility of the amendment to the Safety Act possibly passing tonight. Uh, let's see. NBC Chicago is NBC five Chicago is uh, reporting that a proposed amendment to the Illinois Safety Act would expand the number and types of crimes that could keep people in jail as they await trial, addressing some of the biggest criticism surrounding the bill just before it's, it's going to take effect. Uh, they're not. So they're all the, in Springfield right now. They're uh, convening for a veto session. And uh, Robert Peters, uh, Senator Robert Peters, has uh, has clarified that what what he's they're clarifying in this amendment, what prosecutors need to do to prove to a judge that a defendant is a danger to others and should be detained. It would also allow judges to consider past instances of failing to appear in court when determining pretrial detention and establishing a grant program to help the state's public defenders handle an expected caseload increase. So that's what's under consideration to amend the Safety Act and uh, hopefully uh, ease some of the concerns that people have, in particular when it comes to these lawsuits that have been brought by uh, prosecutors across the state of Illinois and other parts. Uh, Let me see. Because the amendment... um, also clarifies that anyone charged before January 1st will remain in the old system, but could be moved to the new system if their case fits the criteria. And so these are just a few of the things that I'm reading on the NBC5 article. Let's get the Jim who's been on hold. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Patty. Before I shut this mortal coil, I would like to find out who instigated the insurrection, Who? what group of people sat around Trump and convinced them to go through with this insurrection, and then who facilitated it? Was it uh, was it that Flynn's brother? That they, they allowed anything like the city of Chicago having? A, we understand there's going to be a riot at the uh, at uh, City Hall, and we've got a good month. But all the people we leave there are the security guards. We don't send any police in. We don't do anything to uh, buck up the security. Which is which is incredible. It's incredible. She's, this is the real story. This is the real story, Patty. Well, uh, do you remember during that debate uh, in August, uh, you know, between Biden and Trump, when Trump said what to the Proud Boys? Stand back and stand by. Right. I mean. Right. But but, but Patty, think of this. Now he has advisors in that way. Everybody dummied up. You watch the uh, hearings. All those lawyers dummied up. They're all protecting themselves because they know. That they're culpable. That they know that this is a one-time event in American history, an insurrection here. This isn't like, uh, you know, something coming out of, the, out of nowhere. This is a one-time where he is going to install himself as president of the United States. Well, if he does that, then the laws and amendments and all this nonsense we're talking about doesn't mean anything. If he can install himself as president, right? then what, who cares about law? There is no law. There is no law. There are no amendments. They've all disappeared overnight. Uh, this is how serious this is. And, and uh, for him to, uh, uh, to just jive, I mean, I can't believe these, like Nixon, for instance, I think I told you this, I made a big bet in the summer that Nixon would be out of office by Thanksgiving. And the reason I could make that bet is because the news media was was seeking the truth, seeking the truth. The papers were seeking the truth, seeking the truth. We live in an age where the truth, I guess, is is just, uh, it's immaterial. It doesn't mean anything. I could make that big bet then because I knew the truth was going to finally come out. The Nixon was surrounded by four lunatics that talked him in the break and into the uh, 
vice president psychiatrist office. But this is worse. And we let this guy run for president. And then not only that, but he's going to install, I heard the late last day, let's install that, not a, in the, he wants to install him as a governor in the, in the. Yep. Yeah, he's an installer. He's not a politician. Yeah. This man thinks he's an installer. But he is surrounded by people who, please believe me, because he's not that bright. No. And, yes. and so he's got people that, are, there's a group of people around him that will feed them this baloney. Well, because they're benefiting off of. The gig. Right. And he's also, because they're benefiting off of the madness that he stirs up. You know, they reap well, look, the, the rewards this, of that. But look at the suckers that went along with this, with, with the Internet. They, they sucker themselves. They're getting 10 years, 8 years, 10 years. The lunatics that don't even know what they're talking One guy was on a t- stand today. So I did it because President Trump said that the election was stolen. And I believe it was stolen. I mean, you know, they're, they're just imbeciles. But the, the real culprit is Trump the instigator and the people around him instigating it. And then who's saying, why wasn't the the capital protected exactly why did they just leave why did they just leave security guards in there to, to, to be beaten up and uh i mean it was incredible what where, where's the, the in other words if a democrat gets elected anywhere in the country we have to call it the national guard immediately because the republicans are going to attack us i mean is that is that where we're at i feel like in it, words, yeah. yeah yeah i mean that, that's all i have to say it's just incredible how the truth has been bludgeoned in the last few years is, I can't even describe it. It's just, it's like listening to insanity over and over again. I mean, anyway. I know. I'm all for the, I, I'm gonna, I want to find the truth no matter what. We got to find out who, who instigated this. Because this is going to end with the Republicans taking over the House and they're going to squash it, of course. And say that it was a spontaneous eruption and uh, Trump. But yeah, a spon- what, look, about the, what about what about the six hours? What about the six hours where Trump was dumbing up? That was the first time in six years that he was dumbing up for six hours. Yeah, just being quiet. Well, he's, he, never been, he's never been dummied up for six hours in six years. Right. And the other thing is, if it was just spontaneous, I mean, what need was there for the Secret Service to scrub their phones unless it was to? Right. Yeah. What, what is going on here? Yeah. I mean, are we going to get to the bottom of this? Are we just going to let it go? This is this is. Historical. This they'll be reading about this two hundred years from now. Yeah. How how a crazy president tried to install himself as president of the United States. Anyway, Patty, I I, I, I hope we get to the bottom of this. We have a great show because I'm going berserk. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a good one, Jim. Breathe deep breath, deep breath, Jim. Let's take a break here. We're going to check in with our friend Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area and catch you up on traffic. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. On January 6, 2021, followers of Trump and something called QAnon attempted a coup at the United States Capitol. Who are these people? I want to live with the QAnon girl. I could be happy the rest of my life with a QAnon girl. Believer of theory, she leans to the right. She never gets weary of being gullible and white. She's my QAnon girl. 
like members of any cult. These folks seem willing to follow the directions of their leaders, no matter how irrational or insane or stupid they may be. Speaking of irrational and insane leaders, let's talk about uh, Ron Johnson. I'm just kidding, Dan. Do we want to talk about Ron Johnson anymore, Dan Schaefer? Can we have a break from Ron Johnson? I'm ready yeah, for a break. I'm ready for a break. From, from yeah, I, I think I'm good with that. Okay. Although, although I mean, we do have to turn our attention to other uh, right-wingers. Uh, and I believe this week there was – did I read in your Twitter feed that there's a new candidate that has announced for the Supreme Court race? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I, again, I cannot overstate the importance of this race for Wisconsin, for, for Wisconsin Supreme Court. That is – yeah, you know, we're not getting a break from uh, maybe able to take a little bit of a break from from following every move of Ron Johnson, but we don't get a break from campaign politics here in Wisconsin uh, just quite yet because we have a spring election that will de- decide the majority of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why this is an especially important race. Uh, what I consider to be the main reason is that the courts uh, have ruled on our ridiculously gerrymandered maps. Uh, and they have uh, allowed for the Republican maps to be in place. And the Republican maps have been Republican skeleton key to wielding power in Wisconsin, no matter how many statewide elections they lose. And the court is the key to those maps. So on any issue that the Republicans have obstructed Tony Evers over the last four years, be it abortion rights, be it gun rights, be it Local funding, be it, you know, any number of things that, that has come up, the Republicans are, are very difficult to, to hold accountable because they have uh, these entrenched majorities through the maps. So flipping the court, flipping the majority in the court would give liberals the best chance they have really at any point this decade uh, to win back the majority and kind of re uh, reopen a challenge to those courts to those maps. So it's a really important one. And like you said, there is a new candidate who just announced, Judge Jennifer Doro, who presided over the the criminal case uh, for Daryl Brooks, who was the man who drove his car into the Waukesha Christmas Parade uh, a year ago. So she got a lot of uh, national and local attention through the coverage of that trial. Uh, she is a conservative. She was appointed by Scott Walker, uh, and she is going to be the one of the one of the candidates running for state supreme court. And through the name recognition that she has gained Ugh. through that trial, uh, she is you know probably pretty likely to at least emerge from the primary, uh, if nothing else. So, are there uh, other races on this ballot, or is it? How, I think mean, how many races are on the ballot aside from the supreme court race? Yeah, there's not as many, uh, so that will definitely. So Wisconsin has their, you know, uh, nonpartisan elections in the spring with the state supreme court, uh, you know, being officially nonpartisan, but everybody kind of knows where things stand in this day and age. Uh, so there are a number of other local elections that get decided uh, on the spring ballot, but it is, you know, being a, being an off year, there is not as much, you know, sometimes we have mayoral elections and county executive elections, uh, school board throughout the state. That's not going to be as prevalent next year, uh, in the spring election. So this will really be the main one. And, and, you know, Democrats and liberals have really been eyeing this as a real opportunity to, to flip the balance of the court. There was an opportunity to more or less do that 
uh, a couple years ago, and a conservative justice won by just 6,000 votes mm-hmm. uh, in a statewide election. So just shows you just, A, how close, you know, every statewide election in Wisconsin tends to be, but also just how important it will be for, for people to turn out uh, and vote for uh, one of the liberal candidates in this race. There's, a, there's, there's two that have been running, so I, I imagine, you know, at least one of them uh, will, will be uh, will emerge from the primary as well. Uh, there's also a, a conservative who's been running for quite some time too, Daniel Kelly, uh, who is a former uh, Wisconsin State Supreme Court justice. He was never elected though. He was appointed to fill. Uh, he was appointed by Scott Walker to fill a role, uh, and then when he was up for election for that ten-year term, he lost pretty handily. Uh, he's a pretty far-right candidate. Got the Trump endorsement last time around. Uh, and I think maybe the, the you know, that Jennifer Doro's entry into this race is a signal that Republicans are, are scrambling. They know that, that Democrats and liberals are really focusing on this race, have highlighted the importance of it for quite some time here, realizing that they have one of these t- types of candidates that did especially poorly uh, in the midterm elections and, and are finding and happen to find somebody who just got a ton of name recognition, uh, who is part of, you know, the kind of Waukesha County political universe uh, with Republicans and, and has, uh, you know, a, a judicial term uh, that I believe ends uh, in 2024 anyway. So she's she's nearing the end of, uh, I believe, a, a 10 or 12 year term serving in Waukesha County. Oh, man, I, I, this is one of those things where you really hope that people feel motivated to go vote uh, because it, it, we, people are, are having, I think, some fatigue. Uh, we've talked to our, some of our friends who are, are volunteering in Georgia uh, and, you know, but it, it is valuable to get out there and get the word out and get people motivated uh, because it is so crucial, not just for the gerrymandering uh, to open that back up, but obviously uh, for abortion rights and, and uh access to health care for everyone. Um, and I and I saw this article that you had re- retweeted and uh, we're t- it's this uh, basically the, the idea of parachuting into small towns to figure out what's going on uh, and using Wisconsin as one of the places where they sent reporters to see how Republicans are feeling. And you're you tweeted that we're basically making the same mistakes we made in 2015. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the Associated Press had this story about Western Wisconsin, Western and Northwestern Wisconsin today. And it just felt like every story with a, a reporter parachuting into the state, writing about, you know, what the, what, you know, the diner story has been kind of, uh, you know, the, uh, just stereotype, uh, of this type of thing. You know, people in diners, they still support Trump. Okay, great. Back to, back to DC or New York or <laughs> wherever we parachuted in from. Right. Uh, So it was just another example of that. And it was just a very ridiculous over the top story saying that, you know, this is this is what small town life is like in Wisconsin. And they profiled this guy with like a thousand guns or something like that. Oh, my God. It's just ridiculous. Uh, And, you know, talking about how this suburb of of, uh, this town of Hudson, that is uh, kind of an ex-urban community uh, close to the Twin Cities, about 45 minutes from the Twin Cities. It, you know, it's a, the article was talking about how they could see the fires burning in Minneapolis after the, the George, you know, after the George Floyd murder. And it's just so beyond over the top that uh, that is just a little bit mockable from, uh, you know, and I, I feel like we're back in the same place that we were in 
you know, in 2015, where Donald Trump is running for president, the Republican establishment is is wary of this of this run, considering you know some of the company that he keeps, and uh, Republican, you know, the national media is is still still not grasped uh, quite the the nature of the situation that that's that's happening. It's it's frustrating to see the lack of progress that the you know folks in the media have made over the last seven years now or even how to put it in context i mean like you know basically they went in there and said oh these guys still believe trump's lies and are still being manipulated by the gop but reporters aren't going to put it that way but that's essentially it they still believe the lies you know yeah yeah they talked about how you know if the polls in wisconsin show that more than 60 percent of republicans didn't consider joe biden's election in 2020 to be legitimate you know and right it's uh it's it's uh, it's a situation where they're still believing the lies. Right. The, the questions from reporters should be like, what is it going to take? What would it take for you to let go of this fantasy? I don't know. That's not, maybe that's not reporting. I don't know. But it's like, what, what, how do we, uh, you know, get people to, what do they call it when someone's in a cult, to deprogram them? How do we deprogram folks? Uh, and oh, ex- I don't know. Extract don't know. them. It seems like, it seems like they're, you know, I've, I've thought about doing something, you know, the, the stereotype is the diner story, right? Right. Of coming to some rural diner and, and seeing. I've thought about doing a, a series of the reverse diner stories, going to places that would typically, you know, support Joe Biden, support Democrats to, to ask around if they still support. So there's a lot of like, you know, suburban communities that have, have shifted towards uh, Democrats here in Wisconsin uh, over the last couple of election cycles. So I feel like, should I go to Trader Joe's and start <laughs> interviewing people to see if they, you know, still support the Democrats' uh, uh, agenda of, you know, better health care and, and addressing climate change and, and all the different things that uh, have passed over the last year. You know, I, I've thought about doing that as, as a series at the Recombobulation area. Yes, what do you think? I would love that. Yeah, because here's the thing is, is that these folks, they, they keep these reporters just keep saying when they and they, they were really upset about the Black Lives Matter march and, you know, the city's burning down and like spewing out the lies themselves reinforcing the lies by saying, well, this guy believes it, you know, so I may as well report it. Yeah. Let's report on the people who are like, yeah, I love what he's doing. I want to make sure that we don't have fascists restoring our capital, you know, (laughs) any of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there was another AP headline that I saw from, from about Western Wisconsin from during the election cycle, they were talking about how voters were shrugging off uh, the January 6th connection uh, for the congressional candidate out there as he was looking to cruise to some sort of double-digit victory. Well, it ended up being an extremely close race. Uh, and had the National Party actually invested uh, the way they, you know, comparably to the Republicans in that race, it looks like they could have won. It was ended up being 52-48. They were looking at it in the weeks before it like it was going to be some big landslide. So, you know, they got that one wrong, and then they're doubling down on uh, this type of reporting, which is which is frustrating. It really is. Now, I I think I I, I meant to ask you this. It's one of those things that comes up. I, I'll read it, uh, you know, some news story or on your feed, and I'm like, oh, I gotta ask Dan about this. So the six billion dollar surplus that your general yeah. assembly is sitting on, what is happening? And then making cuts to law enforcement in Milwaukee? Is it? Am I? What what is happening? Yeah, so this is part of a long-standing problem in Wisconsin, and it is kind of coming to a head uh, right now because of that surplus. So the the state legislature 
in Wisconsin, basically since Republicans took control in 2010 under Scott Walker and handed themselves entrenched majorities through those maps, they have cut shared revenue for local municipalities year after year after year after year. And that is it's fallen especially hard on the city of Milwaukee. And I you know, covered a little bit of the most recent budget cycle here in the city of Milwaukee. And that cut to shared revenue amounted to a $150 million cut uh, to the city's budget. And so the city had to, you know, make cuts to the fire department and make cuts to the libraries and make a little bit and, and, you know, and make a little bit of changes to the police budget. Uh, they didn't actually cut the police budget, but they had to reduce the number of officers because of some pension issues, uh, that are boiling up at the time as uh, right now as well. So it, it's a difficult situation that Milwaukee is in, and, and Milwaukee has leadership has wanted to, you know, increase that shared revenue or perhaps allow the city to raise a local sales tax to fill some of those budget shortfalls. But the, the state legislature has to sign off on that for the Milwaukee to even have a vote. And so we haven't been able to have, you know, something like a local referendum on, on raising the sales tax to pay for things like public safety or parks or transit or all these different things that have gone underfunded uh, over the years. And now it, it has really been amplified uh, lately because we found out through uh, the last uh, budget cycle that Wisconsin, the, the Wisconsin uh, state budget will have a $6 billion surplus. That's a lot of money. I think that could help fill some of the, that $150 million yeah. uh, that Milwaukee is losing out on year after year after year. Uh, so I think, you know, one of the things that Tony Evers said in the only gubernatorial debate that we had this year was that he wanted he wanted his number one priority be, to be to fix the local funding formula. Uh, I think now is a good time to do that. Now that he has one reelection, I think even re- some Republicans are recognizing the reality of the difficulty uh, that that local municipalities are facing. We just had a record year of referenda across the state where local voters would uh, would take to the polls and vote for local tax increases, voting to increase their property taxes to pay for things like schools and roads and different things in their communities. So yeah, all the while, the, the state legislature, which has not worked since March, uh, has, is sitting on this massive surplus doing nothing. So it's, it's a very frustrating situation. I hope it I, – I really am optimistic, though, that it does get addressed at least in some capacity in the next budget cycle uh, with with Tony Evers as governor. You know, I think there are some in the legislature, some Republicans around the state, some like groups like the League of Wisconsin Municipalities that are recognizing that this system is broken and really, really needs to address. And now that we have this surplus, it's the, it's the time to address it is now. Yeah, no kidding. You would think. <laughs> Uh, I know that there's got to be uh, a lot of celebrating going on, for, especially for fans of Senator Tammy Baldwin uh, in the passage of the same-sex and interracial marriage, uh, the the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, what a strange thing to even have to legislate! But uh, it was a it, it's a really uh, wonderful day that she it, it's something that she led and fought for, and uh, and hopefully soon we'll see President Biden sign that into law. Yeah, absolutely. It was you know we we. We, I often come on this show and talk about one of our senators who we don't need to talk about today. But uh, Tammy Baldwin, uh, she, I think she did. She's a terrific senator, a terrific representative for Wisconsin. And I think what just happened with the Respect for Marriage Act is a great example of it because it was something that after the Dobbs decision, you know, there was kind of uh, I think 
Clarence, in Clarence Thomas's uh, some of the words that he had to say about that decision said it could open up challenges his to, threat? Yeah. to gay marriage, to do a number of other things. And so, you know, Tammy Baldwin took it upon herself to kind of find a bipartisan solution in the Senate to codify this into law and have some federal protection for same-sex and interracial marriages. Uh, and, you know, it, it, during the campaign, it was becoming kind of a wedge issue. Uh, and she's instead of, you know, making it politicized, uh, she, she said, all right, we'll put this on the back burner, but we're getting it done uh, after the election. And, that, and that's exactly what's happening. So I think it's, you know, she's the type of per- type of senator who's going to prioritize prioritize results over politics. And, and that's what you want to see. So uh, and, and of course, the, the end result is going to be federal protection for, for people to love who they want to love. So I think that's wonderful. That is fantastic. Uh, what else are you working on this week, Dan? Well, I took a little break from from writing about politics this week to talk about to write about my hometown, Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> uh, who I'm uh, uh, always very excited about. So I needed a little, you know, a post-election palate cleanser uh, to, to write about something yep. other than elections and politics and policy and all of that. So I wrote a little bit about the Milwaukee Bucks and their and their quest to uh, get back to the championship this year. And, and you know, I thought about, uh, the, you know, just the fact that winning, winning two titles in three years would be a pretty big deal for a team from Milwaukee. So I'm, I'm excited to see how the rest of the season plays out. That is exciting. Yeah. How are, okay, I, I'm not following basketball at all. I have not, uh, I don't think I've really followed very much since Michael Jordan retired uh, the first time. After he went and played baseball, I just wasn't having any of it. Uh, but when, okay, where are we with, uh, with? I don't even know when playoffs are anymore. Any, that's all the way in the, like, wait, like April oh, or something. in the spring. We got, we, we got a ways to go. Before but you're excited yeah, now. You're fired up. It's, it's, I'm fired up now. You know, I just wanted to write some big picture. I didn't really want to write, the, write about the Packers. You know, we, I know we've got Packers Bears coming up this weekend, and uh, I I guess Aaron Rodgers is going to try to play. I'm not super excited about that. I'm ready, ready to hand the keys over to the young guys and and uh, start the rebuild. Fair but, enough. You know, we'll, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, fair enough on that. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not prepared to talk about the Bears either. We're not. Uh, <laughs> I think we had one decent game in the rain, and that's been it the whole season. That's pretty much been it. How many games do you get a chance to go see with the Bucks live? Uh, I'll try to get to a few every year. I haven't seen one in person yet, but uh, but you know I'm, I'm excited to get out there. And, and now that you know, once once the page will turn after the, I'm I'm still recombobulating myself. You know, sure. after a busy election season, uh, you know we had uh, a bunch of stuff in the week following. We had Thanksgiving week, and now it's, now we're starting to settle into a normal environment where we're not having political ads every two seconds. There's not another firestorm every minute. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll all be able to kind of catch our breath before, before the next, uh, before the next big campaign, which is, which is coming right around the corner. Well, plus you have two young daughters and I do love your, uh, your, your music playlist. Uh, I'm, I'm particular to, we don't talk about Bruno. I like that one. Oh, my Spotify rap that I was posting about today. Yeah, I posted my Spotify raps and because, because I have two young daughters, uh, my, all top five of my, Spotify rap songs were from the Encanto soundtrack. So there you go. I love it. I met a young man named Bruno the other day, and I feel so bad for this kid because I almost burst into song, and I'm sure it's going to happen to him (laughs) for the rest of his life. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Where can folks find your work, Dan? Uh, you can find my work at the Recombobulation Area on Substack. I'm at, today is actually the last day of a sale that I'm running, a subscription sale at the Recombobulation Area. 
So I, I had a week-long Thanksgiving week sale to include all of the Black Fridays and Small Business Saturdays and, and whatever Wednesdays uh, that we have uh, for the holiday sale season here. And, uh, they, it's usually a $50 full-year subscription you can get for 35 bucks right now. Not too bad. Uh, and you can help fund local independent journalism in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. I highly recommend that everyone do that. Thank you so much, Dan. And follow Dan on Twitter as well. It's Dan R. Schaefer. That's one F. No, see, I made that more complicated than it needed to be. It's the most convenient way of writing Schaefer is all I'm saying. Very straightforward. And I heard you doing the traffic update before. And I, I, <laughs> I, should, I should mention that R is for Ryan in my name. So I have a oh, really? There. Oh, there you Dan go. Ryan. Oh, how Ryan. funny. You're like, wait a minute. Is that my highway? You know, <laughs> I will think of you now when I do the traffic updates. There you go. Thanks, Dan. We'll talk to you next week if you're free. Uh, we'll love to catch up with you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. Have a great night. And uh, now I'm going to have, uh, we don't talk about Bruno stuck in my head for the rest of the night. That's that's my fault, not yours. <laughs> take care, Dad. <laughs> you too. Thanks. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with our friends uh, who are going to tell us about this incredible event coming up at the National Museum for Mexican Art uh, on December 8th. It's Latina Equal Pay Day. And we want to find out more about that and how we can help and support their work. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You know, I was actually, every time I talk to Dan, I'm like, I really want to go to Milwaukee. I, Milwaukee's one of our great American cities, and and it's it's kind of like a, a a Chicago light a little bit. Hi, ladies, come on in. Let's tip in just a moment. Uh, and I just want to uh, I want I just want to go hang out, but I I don't. I'm I'm short on cash this year. I think it was great news today that uh, that they're going to slow the aggressive uh, interest rates. They're seeing that inflation has peaked. Uh, I hope that we are we continue to move in the right direction. Get gas prices, for the most part, I know that there are folks that will take pictures of gas prices and say, "Hey, it's not that cheap over here." But for the most part, gas prices in many places is back to uh, before Putin invaded Ukraine. So. Uh, Again, a lot of a lot of things moving in the right direction. We need to keep uh, the pressure on, though, to make sure that continues. Let's take a break here, and when we come back, let's find out about Latina Equal Pay Day, and uh, we'll meet some new friends after this, after the news, and a traffic update. You're listening to Heartland Signal, WCPT 820. We're driving it home till seven with me, Patty Vasquez. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Sorry, I just needed a minute to uh, 
to reset myself after losing the traffic screen there for a second. Sorry, everybody. If you were in the middle of your traffic report, you're like, wait a minute. What happened to the tri-state? I don't, I don't, the tri-state northbound from the Bishop Ford to Wisconsin State Line is at 17 minutes with no delays. This is just so new to me. So thank you, everybody, who's uh, bearing with me, including my husband. The uh, last traffic report, he was like, that was great. Uh, Lady B, I, and then this one, he's like, where's the traffic? Hey, Lady B, I just texted you a number for uh, another guest that's going to join us right now, uh, Ellie. It, did you, let me know if you got that one. Otherwise, I can send it again because joining me in studio is Izzy Dobell. And uh, we want to talk about this event coming up on December 8th at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Yes. All, yeah. this, all of this is correct. Excellent. The 6th, actually. The 6th. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. what I, I've, I've heard it both ways. No, December 6th. Uh, and this is being put on by the LCLAA. Tell us a little bit about yes. this organization. So that is the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. It's mm-hmm. pronounced LACLA. Um, it is a national organization that works on advancing Latinos in labor and, and broadly nationwide. Excellent. So I found out a few years ago, uh, I work for controller Susanna Mendoza. and uh, we Wonderful were doing, person. Oh, she's amazing. And we were doing an event, and uh, it was about equal pay, you know, the equal pay day for women mm-hmm. and uh, how many months uh, we have to work to earn the same amount of money men do, white men uh, do. And uh, I did not realize that women, Latinas, this year, in 2022, they estimate it's about 54 cents to the dollar because the number you always hear is 79 cents to the dollar that women earn in comparison. Right. But that doesn't take into account how much women of color are making. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really breaks down um, thinking about when you think about like making how much to a dollar, it's a little harder to, to break up. But yeah. when you're thinking this person made this much in this year, I have to work nearly two years to make what he made. We might have the same college education. We might have the same backgrounds, but for everything else in comparison, I'm just not going to be where he's at. Oh, man. I, uh, there's so many things. Let's bring in, let's bring in Ellie Behana. Behana. Hey, Ellie, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well, Patty. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. I'm so, I, I, I was telling, I was telling Izzy, I should have been like, you don't have to, when you come, this is so low pressure here. Uh, I would love to have you in the studio when it fits your schedule sometime. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you do with, with LACLA. Yeah, so like Izzy, I'm a trabajadoras fellow. We started our fellowship last November. So every all the work that we've been doing uh, this year is to how to bridge the gap, um, the pay gap, especially when it comes to Latinas and young Latinas like ourselves. I think that's a conversation that's often not had. So we're excited to be doing this work here in Chicago. Well, I, I and I can't remember the numbers because I, I talked about this to a group not too long ago uh, because... The amount of money that Latinas spend in this economy, our contributions to this economy, like the, we'll talk about the work that we do and, and the levels at which we've reached and the barriers to that. But our spending dollar is in the trillions, and women often are the ones that make the, the purchasing decisions. And yet to have us behind the eight ball, I mean, like not we're under the eight ball, right? Right? right Izzy? I mean, I feel, I, I, I never, Lady B, did you know that we earn fifty four cents of the dollar compared to our white male counterparts? I didn't know that. So, Izzy, what did you, when you saw that, you know, were you looking at the long sort of lens of your life and thinking, I mean, like, how do you even start to accumulate wealth in general then, right? Right, right. And there's so many other factors. Ellie and I were speaking about this last night that, you know, within Latina families, 
um, there's other things that we take into consideration, right? We might live in multi-generational households. Mm -hmm. And so we are doing the jobs that are going to fit our livelihoods as well as allow us to take care of our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and whoever else might be in that home with us. Um, Also having access to health care. Also, whatever your immigration status might be. There's other barriers to women being able to access jobs that are going to be well-paid to even take care of the generations that exist now and then create the generational wealth that we all want, right? We all want our children to be in a better place than we are today. Um, Something that Ellie actually brought up as well was that um, sometimes it's this idea that Latina women are not asking for the raises and that we're not putting ourselves out there and all you need is the tools to do it, but it's much greater than that. Um, According to the Lean In Initiative, Latinas with bachelor's degrees see the worst pay gap in comparison to white men who also have college degrees. Um, That's because for every time that a Latina has asked for a promotion at similar rates to men, only about 71 of the 100 people will be able to get that promotion. So only 71 Latinas will get a promotion while 100 white men will get a promotion. So we're putting ourselves in those rooms. We are putting ourselves out there and in those uncomfortable situations and no one likes to talk about money. Nobody likes to talk no, about any of those things, right? You're dreading the day, but you know you're, we want to do it and still people are telling us no. Well, and, and uh, Ellie, I don't know if you've come across this in any of the conversations or, st- or research that you guys have done on this, but there's also, you know, if when we ask, when women, when women of color ask, we're also seen as being aggressive or scary or intimidating too. And so when we were told that in other spaces, it can in- impede not only the way we approach a situation, but how other people interpret it, that. Don't you think, Ellie? Oh, no, I definitely agree. I think you know, I have had countless conversations about this where, you know, coming from, I come from like being the first person in my family, first generation, uh, being the first born in the United States. And the thing that when I started my professional career and I had a very, you know, very difficult experience, it was like, you know, we're grateful for every every opportunity, every door that opens is an opportunity. So we want to take them. We want to say yes. So sometimes without knowing how to navigate systems, we end up in these places that are not paying us fairly. And even when I had the conversation with my mom where I'm like, something's wrong here. And she's like, just, you know, like, she's like, well, you're just getting started. This is how it is because we don't know. I was the first one in my family to, yeah. you know, start a professional career here in the United States. And I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have someone to guide me. So we're sometimes you we get stuck in these situations. And now when we, you know, I'm so grateful for LACLA, for Trabajadoras to have these spaces because I told Izzy, one of one of the reasons we wanted to do this panel is because I attended a panel two years ago and the advice we were given from other women were advocate for yourself. You can do it. And I'm like, well, realistically, I worked in the nonprofit sector for about, you know, six years. Um, I know what the budget is. I know I'm, you know, we're only getting $50,000 through the state budget. So how can I ask for more money? If it's part of a bigger issue that we're not getting invested on um, through this nonprofit work. So it's definitely one of the situations that we want to make sure that people know that it's not just about advocating. It's about how we do, how together we can change these systems. And it starts with us. Yeah, the idea that you just advocate for yourself uh, because there is a system that's so deeply entrenched, the expectations, uh, you know, even like for me, and I work in a, in a, I'm an independent contractor for the most part up until mm-hmm. I start working for the state. Uh, you know, when I got pregnant, I was, uh, I was 34 years old. At, is that right? 
well, we'll figure out the math later. But <laughs> but I but I was but people would ask me like, are you going to keep working, right? And so that becomes even more so in the workplace. They see a Latina. There are all these stereotypes on top of everything else that we're going to get pregnant, that we're not going to work, that we're not going to be present. When studies show not only that, but we are pr- more productive in many areas. Have you seen these two, Izzy? Yeah, I mean that even the fact that we have to work twice as hard to be able yeah. to get just as far, right? But we are still breaking the barriers. We are still working. Working our way to get on boards and working to be top level management, it just says so much about how resilient we truly are. And yeah. I was really happy to hear about like Ellie's story and like my story of joining La Clara Trabajadoras is because um, so my mother is one of thirteen and we are all from Venezuela and I'm an immigrant from Venezuela. And so um, the the weight that's on my shoulders professionally is that any opportunity you have, you better take it and you better yes. you better knock it out of the park because truly I have family that. Are, have the same genes as me and um, don't have the same opportunities as me. And so, yeah, when you go to a place that you're like, okay, but I think I'm getting underpaid. How do I talk about this? And then half the time you're thinking, I should just be happy I'm here. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe me, I have been in that situation. Uh, and, and people don't, wanna, don't want to rock the boat. How about your family? Ellie, where's your family from originally? Uh, from Mexico. My, both my parents are from Guerrero, Mexico. So I uh, migrated here in the 80s and We've been in a little village since 1998. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know that I've had this. I, I don't. I, I don't know if I've had this conversation with my mom. My mom immigrated here in 1969, 68-69, and uh, she wasn't planning to stay. She was planning to get a better. She wanted to learn English to get a better job in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. She was divorced with three children, and it just so happened the day she arrived in O'Hare Airport, her Irish cabbie was very charming, and that's my dad. Uh, it's a very long story, but so she. Uh, you know, she studied. She went to Northeastern. She went to uh, what Mayfair, uh, mm-hmm. which is now the Irish American. She went through all these different things, not just to learn English, but to learn to get a degree. And uh, and you know, she had a lot of barriers. It was very hard for her to get her very first job. Uh, you know, whether it was because of the accent. This is 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a and to think that we're. I mean, 54. I can't even imagine what it would have been then in 1976. Right. Right. Probably 35 cents. I mean, and all we've gotten to is the middle. Right. Ellie, is that crazy? Yeah. And it's not just about one paycheck. When you look at it, I think there was. Um, when you looked at 20 in 2020, when I first heard the number, I when it was 57 cents to the dollar. Right. They told me so. A Latina would have if she were working in the age if she's 90 years old. Um. For the money that a white man has made, we would have, so a white man being sixty years old to a Latina being ninety years old, right. so it's thirty years, yeah. millions of dollars in miss income through our lifetime. Right, right, and, it's, and because and then it's not just the mixed income; it's what you might have been able to do with that money, buy a house, right, which is then the value you know fluctuates so much when you are able to buy that. It's also generational wealth. You know, a lot of people uh, are able to pass property or investments onto their children mm-hmm. so it's it's both in our lifetimes what we're what not and again uh you know to that point to be 90 and have you know still not, not have as much as as you could have had you're not able to enjoy the right. rest of your life you with know. the expectation you're going to work to 90 it, right yeah <laughs> the, the expectation yeah it's it is it, it's such a maddening circle let me take a break here we are hanging out with izzy dovel and ellie bahena tell me again the name of the organization i know it's lacla but yeah. the other Trabajadoras. Yeah, we're Trabajadoras Fellows for LACLA. Trabajadoras, my Spanish is terrible. Okay. Trabajadoras para, por LACLA. Is it yes. por or par? Para. Por. Por. 
<laughs> I never. That's what. See, Ellie, this is why I don't speak Spanish fluently. It's the verbs and is it poor? Is it para? I don't know. <laughs> it's terrible. We all have to practice. I do. Well, I, I try. More <laughs> after this on WCPT 820. We are driving at home. If you want to join our conversation, 773-763-9278. Roosevelt, I'll take your call when we come back because I'm sure you have some thoughts, too. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. This is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. More than 50 years after the passage of the Equal Pay Act of 1963, Latinas working full-time, year-round, and part-time earn only 54 cents for every dollar earned by white, non-Hispanic men. Uh, Latinas who work full-time year-round earn, earn 57 cents to the dollar. Joining me in studio is Izzy Dobel, and on the phone is Ellie Behena. They are with Trabajadores por LACLA, and they have an event coming up on December 6th at the National Museum of Mexican Art, which is one of the great locations in Chicago. Hey, Elena, Ellie, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, hello. Tell us a little bit about this event coming up on December 6th. Yes, so we're very excited. It's going to be, like you said, at the National Mexican Art Museum here in Colson. So I think it really sets the stage to the work that we're doing that's important not only to share it out with, you know, people that already know about the work, but also here in the community. And we're going to have uh, several uh, panelists um, we have some people that are coming from uh, our National Lock Class, so we're very excited for that. Uh, that is, I have her name right over here, <laughs> uh, Sonia Vasquez Luna. She's the chair of Lock Class, People That Most Fun. She's also a national board member, and she just won her election for um, city council in Virginia, making her the first Latina ever elected in the city. We have Star de los Santos from Women Employed. She's senior coalition manager at Women Employed who's also holding an Equal Pay Day uh, event on December 8th. And we have Claudia Marchand, Executive Director at Northern Illinois Justice for Our Neighbors, uh, Celia Dina from Pacers University, and we have a whole uh, many guest speakers that are going to join us that day. And I think that's one of the fabulous things about the event, that we're actually going to have see what action is being taken um, in Chicago and across Illinois. And Izzy, what's the best way for folks to get more information about being a part of this event? That's a great question. So it is at 6 p.m. on December 6th. Um, we actually have an RSVP form that you can use. I can also send you the link if you want to put it online so it's easy to click. Great. But otherwise, we did simplify it to something nice and short. Um, so it is at bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y backslash Latina pay gap, all lowercase, 2022. Excellent. And that'll bring you straight to the RSVP page. And something that Ellie didn't mention is that we will, you know, we'll have food at the event. Uh, it is at the museum, so we will have galleries open as well. So it is an event that you'll both hear from amazing people, get actions of how we can really start addressing this as a whole community. And then 
being able to explore the museum on a, a beautiful autumn night. It really, I, I hope it's a beautiful night. It's a beautiful it's location inside, for least. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great place. You mentioned something about how, I think you said it was 50, was it 57 cents in 2020? And it's it's gotten worse for the, uh, by the way, so to let folks know, uh, the equal pay, women's equal pay day, there's a different one for white women, there's a different one for black women. Indigenous women are, I believe, are just slightly below Latinas. Yes. And uh, and so, and Latinas and, and Native American women are the least paid in our population and someone just texted me and keep in mind that so much more of what we have to buy is more expensive right i mean even dry cleaning i don't know if you guys ellie do you do any dry cleaning have you ever compared i do actually yeah have you ever i do i have a big dry cleaning bill every couple weeks yeah (laughs) and our dry cleaning bills are bigger than men like they they charge more at dry cleaners uh our products cost we have more things that we need to purchase so it's uh it isn't and our clothing costs more Mm -hmm. uh it it, it, there's so many different levels and we were talking about generational wealth oh let me get to roosevelt let me see if roosevelt roosevelt did you want to join this conversation about latinas equal pay day Sure, I'll, I'll I'll get in it. Hi, ladies. How you doing today? Buenas noches. <laughs> uh, hola, hola. Um, I I had a, a question and then I had some comments to make. Okay. Um, now we noticed that the uh, entertainment field, uh, such as actresses or actors and artists, uh, music artists, a lot of has changed. Do you any? This is for every, any any of you. Do you think that plays a role on, on how things are changing, either for the positive or the negative, such as, you know, at the top of my head, uh, Selma Hayek, uh, what's the lady from Venezuela, um, from Colombia, I think she is, the one that uh, is multimillionaire now, uh, Sofia Vergara, Sofia Vergara, and on and on and on. I mean, the field is loaded with, uh, uh, you know, Selena, uh, back in in the nineties, if if I can take if I can take this one, Izzy's like, yeah, go ahead, take it. Let me. If I could take this one, I will say that one of the issues I, I would I would point to is that uh, the women, and this is sort of similar for me in stand up comedy, right? Is that there's a certain type of woman in comedy that's that's sort of elevated. They have to be raunchy. They have to be dirty. For Latinas, it's often that we have to be a sex symbol, and the, the sexualization, like because you, you everyone you mentioned, whether it's Jennifer Lopez or Sofia Vergara, it's. I mean, do you remember when? Jennifer Lopez started, the, the ladies are, are too young because I remember standing in the lo- lobby of a theater uh, and this woman was looking at, uh, it was In Plain Sight, which is a great movie, by the way, with George Clooney, but that was in the 90s. And I remember these women walking by going, I don't like her butt, it's too big, right? <laughs> and, and But it's always been about our body parts and our sexuality when it comes to women in film, um, for the most part. And, and you know, and, and they're tremendous performers, but the, the negative impact that I feel is that, you know, it's always like, oh, it's going to be spicy. Are they still talking to you like this, by the way, Izzy and Ellie? Like, oh, you, I, bet, I bet you're, you know, just the sexualization part of it, of being Latina and all that, that implies. Do you get some of that, Ellie? I think there's still that. There's still that. I definitely think with Jayla, with anything like that, there's still been that idea that Latinas are a certain way, that a Latina behaves a certain way, that a Latina looks mm-hmm. a certain way. But I do want to, I, I, I definitely echo what you shared. But I also want to say, like, um, growing up, I, I'll mention one other Latina, America Ferreira in Ugly Betty. <laughs> she was my first role model growing up. That's who I could relate to. And, uh, you know, I really, I really admire, uh, I really admire her. She's always said my identity is my superpower. 
And I think she's just like what uh, amplifies being a successful Latina and using her voice to elevate. Um, she's worked with like, you know, with um, engaging young voters. She's worked with um, getting our Netflix show, having Hensified, being executive producer for that, having Superstore, um, having representation where story, like stories like ours aren't often told. So I think there's, you know, there's some positive movement, but we want to see more. Yeah. It's not enough. It's I, not enough just to have Taylor, Selena Gomez, Femi um, Lovato, and other women like that. We need other people that are making those moves yeah. and are amplifying the voices that already exist. And it's hard. I'll tell you, in entertainment, I mean, uh, there's it's it's hard to watch sometimes because we have these conversations about like a, like Academy Awards so white, right? And so there's this, the pendulum swings and there's a lot of uh, attention paid to uh, the work of black artists, right? And then and then it just always feels like it's not our turn is what I'm saying. I, I feel like it's, it's often like uh, we're still the maids and the gangsters in a lot of places. But America Ferrara, I agree, Cristela has done a great job of, uh, of changing the narrative when it comes to uh, Latinas and she had a sitcom for a very short time, but I know that she's roaring back. But there's more of that. So I, I don't know if it answers your question, Roosevelt, but that's just our, our take on it a little bit. Ellie, I mean, Izzy, did you want to sh- share something, too? No, I think that uh, the entertainment industry, we've seen it evolving so much, you know, yeah. in the past uh, five years even, and seeing women also take back and being able to own their stories and the Me Too movement and really giving value to when women say things and being able to always believe them and always trust them. And I think the entertainment industry is growing um, to be able to really center women voices, but there's so much more to come. So I'm excited to see where that's going to evolve. Yeah, me too. Roosevelt, well, I'm sorry. I hope we answered some of your question or shared some thoughts. Yes, that, uh, but, yeah. but, but here's the reason why I, I mentioned that. Um, it's funny you mentioned America Ferrara. I think she's played roles where, you know, she's made um, an impact on, um, you know, and gave a positive attitude such as, you know, how a Latina is and how smart. And, and uh, I believe there's a, uh, uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and other movies like that. But another name came to mind, as far as I'm concerned, and Eva Longoria is right there in the field with uh, America Ferrara because she, she's very involved in politics and in helping people, and she's become a producer, uh, you know, so she's taken control of her career. That's one of the reasons why, I, you know, that, that Amer- I mean, um, Eva Longoria came to mind. But it's funny you said that, um, Patty, because if you look at the other side, which means uh, the male uh, Latinos, uh, they they don't have a problem. They become very successful. Mark Anthony, uh, Ricky Martin, uh, Martin, um, and so on. I mean, there's so many artists that are Latino, uh, and now you've got a new generation, like you said, uh, you know, and uh, you made a good point on, on that. But, but, but the reason why I said it is because I see, you know, a little bit crack in the ceiling as far as uh, you know coming around, like uh, like you said, America Ferrara and uh, and I said uh, Eva Longoria. Well, we have so. such a massive demographic. I mean, that's the thing too. So when I so I sold a sitcom in 2015. Uh, I've been doing stand-up comedy for over 20 years, and one of the ways we were able to, I think, crack through a little bit was actually because Trump had galvanized Latino communities with that speech about how Mexico doesn't send its best people, and you saw Latinos from all different parts of the world saying, you know, stepping up and saying this is not acceptable, and that helped us in the room. We were at uh, ABC Studios, but. 
when so it came down to three comedies and they ended up going with none of us they wanted they were trying to find a latino based project uh but when that failed uh the head writer one of the writers from Cristela's show my co-writer was uh, Amelia Serrano she called she was like she goes Patty I don't think we're going to get anything done in LA for four for Latinos for four years. And, and a lot of that came to be because the, you know, the studio executives go by what they see people voting, right? If they're going to vote against for somebody who believes this, well, then why would we put that on our TVs? So it's been hard. It's been, uh, it, it's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, but we keep showing up. Thank you for calling Roosevelt. I got to take a break and do this traffic again. Do you want to hang on or do you? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll hang on. All, All right. right. All right. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Stand by. We'll continue our conversation. In studio, we have Izzy Dovell on the phone. We have Ellie Bahena. We, I apologize to both of you if I stumble over your names. Uh, they are with. Uh, they are. They are hosting an event coming up on December sixth. Latina Equal Pay Day panel and action. That's going to be starting at uh, six p.m. And if you're not sure where the National Mexican Museum of Art is, it's eighteen fifty two West Nineteenth Street, right here in Chicago. You can register at bit.ly backslash forward slash that's forward slash latin latina pay gap latina pay gap 2022 more after this on wcpt 820 heartland signal tune into the tom hartman radio program your home for news opinion and insight right here on wcpt 820 where facts matter this is wcpt 820 where facts matter Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. December December 8th is the Equal Pay Day for Latinas. And just to... To, in order to inspire people and have a conversation about that, our friends from Trabajadoras para, am I saying that? Trabajadoras? Yes. Para Lacla are having an event, Latina Equal Pay Day panel in action that's going to be on December 6th at the National Mexican Museum of Art. And joining us from Trabajadoras por Lacla are, are Ellie Bejana. Did I say that right? I said that wrong, didn't I? Bejana. Bejana. Hi, Ellie. Bejana. Gotcha. Hi. And in studio, we have Izzy Dovell. Uh, and I left Roosevelt on the phone for a, a specific reason, because I, I had to cut him off the other day, Roosevelt. That's why I kept you. So I wanted you to be able to finish your thought. Hi, Roosevelt. Okay. I'm going to be brief as possible here. First of all, I've always felt that when it comes down to... Uh, Leaders of the country, I think women do a better job because they don't. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you know that that's why we're in the situation we're in. It's always the men, and uh, they want to go to war right away, or you know, I, I me, well, you see what we had for four years. I don't even have to mention the things he said. Uh, but um, anyway, as far as equal pay. Um, it, do you think it's going in the wrong direction, or or or, or is, is here's the thing I've noticed? I, I think when it comes down back to the uh, field of entertainment, uh, I think the Oscars have, have played an impact on on um, people that have won. that are Latinos like uh, 
Guillermo uh, Guillermo del Toro and, and so on uh, directors and, and, and here's the thing when it comes to the entertainment field by the way Patty you you said your experiences but I think you are in a field that's very very hard for Latinas or Latinos to um, to succeed I mean look how you know look how along it took uh, George uh but um, you know, can I has- can I stop? It's yeah. interesting because I was doing this event today at UIC. I was doing stand up and panel, and it wasn't until I was I was getting ready and I, I kind of had a little mini panic attack because you know we talk about people being woke and sensitive and stuff like that. Um, George Lopez performed on my campus at the University of Illinois in 1991, and he got booed off the stage by the Latino organization because he was uh, it was it, he we had a remember there used to be a Chi Chi's restaurant. He was talking about they felt that he was denigrating uh, Latino culture and they like he walked off stage and walked out of the room. And I was just like, it, it just it, it struck me when I before I went to UIC because I was like, oh, God, do I have anything that is, you know, that these students are because, you know, but no, everyone was great. You know, it was. Uh, but yes, to your point, it took George Lopez, I want to say probably about 30 years into his career to break. I mean, like he had been working for a long, long time before he became a national known that's, uh that's exactly my point yes but, but if you notice there have been su- successful latinos such as freddie prince i mean he came out of nowhere and i remember that because that's i know i'm way older than all of you but he, he came out of nowhere i mean uh puerto rican uh co- comedian he was the, he came from stand-up and he, he came from all those guys such as uh three george lopez like uh you know he just came into the field and just he was successful, but that come it, it happens so rare. Yeah, uh, uh, I know. know. And then they, go ahead. So. No, no, I don't. I agree. It's a, it's it's a heavy lift, believe me. But I love my career, so no regrets. And I never and moved to Los. Huh? By the way, can I say this? Uh, look into Ricardo Montalban because Ricardo Montalban would never play. By the way, he was a Mexican American actor of the thirties, forties, and fifties, and he was like a sidekick in all the movies. He never uh, hardly played any lead, but he always refused to play a bandito or right. you know, the, pretty, you know, the typical Latino or Mexican-American. And it's always a bandito, always a guy that's, you know, dealing drugs or whatever. But he never played an Indian and he never played a, a, a bandito or, you know, your typical Western right. stuff from the movies and it's, it's nice to have that choice. And it, and it's a, it was important. But, you know, we, we'll, we'll do a, rep- a conversation about representation in a film sometime, too. Well, thank you. I really did enjoy that conversation, though, because I'm like, it just made it just reminded me of one of the reasons that I was I'm I'm a big uh, fan of books. I'm a big reader. I even have a book, my own book club. And um, there was this book about two years ago, American Dirt that there was a lot of controversy surrounding it because it received, like, a seven-figure deal advance. Um, and a lot of uh, Latina writers spoke out about it, about it um, after it had gotten Oprah's, like, uh, seal, book club seal. And it's, you know, basically a white woman telling an immigrant story. <laughs> so, But these stories are already being written by Latina immigrants, by other Latina writers. And we're still not being, again, not being paid <laughs> for yeah. our own story. 
Yeah. And no. that's definitely frustrating. So I think that's going to be a really good conversation. I'll tune into that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Roosevelt. Thanks for a lot, a lot to consider. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just looked it up why American Dirt, a novel about Mexican immigration, sparked such a controversy. Thank you for giving me the heads up on that, too, Ellie. I appreciate it. Um, we. We and the other thing I wanted to come back to, and and Roosevelt actually kind of alluded to, our you know, I I have found that my lineage, uh, my heritage, is indigenous. My mother uh, is from the northern part of Mexico, uh, and I when I found out that uh, Native American women are even earning less than everybody else, tell us a little bit about their their uh, day is today for uh, Native American uh, Equal Pay Day. Yeah, so our, our Native American sisters, they today they observe it. Um, as Native American Women's Pay Day, um, but they actually in 2022 are making about 49 cents. Oh. So it is. It is. We are. We are together in the fight of getting compensated for the labor that we do and and truly being valued for what we bring to a table. Ellie, when you have these conversations with uh, with with people, I mean, do you have a chance to have conversations with uh, a wider group of people that aren't of color or, and not are not women? And, and what, how do those conversations go? I think what helps us a lot is the data. Mm-hmm. There's data and studies behind it because I've had definitely had conversations. I think I think there's the fact that we can't dispute is that women are paid less than men. Right, that's a fact. Uh, but sometimes people don't want to accept that as a fact. <laughs> so sometimes we have, again, being as a woman of color, sometimes for me to say these things in a space that um, may not be so open like this one or, or like our panel next week, uh, we have to come back with that data, with those facts. And I think it's really eye-opening to some people and being like how, the, how men can be allies to us, how the spaces that we're in can be supportive. Um, and I think just starting with those conversations, and I will say um, – one of my first introductions to union was when I started off working in nonprofit and we were on the verge of unionizing. Um, and so that's why I'm really thankful for like the Chicago uh, Metro that's part of LACLA uh, that they've allowed us to have these conversations. Sometimes you don't think of like women being in unions, especially young women like Izzy and I, but uh, we just have to start these conversations and make sure that we have these spaces. Yeah, we, we definitely, I mean, because people will excuse everything away, right? They'll be like, oh, well, it's because, you know. Maybe, you don't have the years of experience. You don't have this. So you don't have that. And, oh, oh, you might have a kid or, yeah. Right. Well, and, and that's the other thing, too, is you talked about multi-generational households where someone might be caring for their parents as well as their children and then still doing all the work that they have to do and then still earning less. It's maddening. And mm-hmm. I, I feel kind of, I, I, I feel, Lady B, I feel like you, you and I, I, I feel like we're not, we didn't, what could we have done differently, Lady B? I don't know what we could have done differently along the way. Uh, I mean, like, so to, going back to entertainment, I remember I was on a, I, so I, I explained earlier what a feature act is. It's the middle act. And this guy told me, oh, you're going to love playing the Cleveland Improv. And they play the, the feature acts really good. They pay them $700 for whatever number of shows, right? Right. And at the end of the week, I got my envelope, $500. Yeah, I was like, but but is it? <laughs> did you ask about it? Did yeah. you say like what happened here? No, because like you said, like I was just happy to be. Right. Again, we're grateful. <laughs> yeah, we're grateful. I was like, oh my god, I got to be a comic for. If I, and here's the thing: if he had never said anything to me, I would never would have even known. So I started asking for more. It took me a while. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to feel like I could ask. But it's like anything else; you're just grateful to be there. 
Right. And it's tough, too, because like what you're asking, what you would be asking for in that moment is parody. Right. right? You're not asking like, I want to be the best paid person this entire place. Pay me a thousand dollars per act. Which, I mean, you probably are amazing. I haven't seen you yet. I want to see you (laughs) doing stand up. But you just generally like and it feels you're going this conversation trying to like battle it out to prove you're the best in the business when really you're like, I just want to get paid what the person sitting next to me is getting paid. Right. We are both. So a feature act isn't even the headliner. They're not the name draw. So it could be anybody as long as they can fill 30 minutes and not make people angry and make sure they keep buying drinks. So yeah, it was, there was no reason for it, but I, I was too, I, 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 like you said, no one likes to talk about money. That's the other thing too, is that there's a lot of stress. Like my stomach starts to turn just thinking about money. Mm -hmm. And so we do need to keep having these conversations and, and to be in the places where decisions are made and make a difference. And so that's why I was so glad to have you both on. I want to have you both on again, Ellie, uh, I'll make sure that it's time when, when you can get here and you don't have to worry about being late. You can come late. It's not a problem. Traffic is, as you can tell from my reading traffic, I, it's all a mess. <laughs> <laughs> we, we learn and we adapt. All right, one more time. Yeah, thank you so much. Ellie, <laughs> let me, let me uh, my pleasure, but let me ask you this. Was there anything you wanted to make sure you talked about before? Because I hate when people like have ideas, they take notes and stuff. Was there anything you wanted to make sure you mentioned in this conversation? Well, I think the first thing, I think we were just, uh, you were touching right on it, having these conversations. Because I think one of those things that you don't know how to ask for money, and I think that was the biggest thing for me, that it wasn't until I was with other young Latina professionals in a group. I'll give Mujeres White Pack for Mujeres Latinas an acción, a shout out. But that's the first time I had a conversation four years ago where um, our chair, um, Judy Torres, told us how she negotiated her salary by being in this professional group. And then she also asked for back pay. And I was like, we can ask for back pay? I was like, I never what? heard of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ne- that, yeah, never have I gone into a room now without negotiating my salary. If I'm, I get an additional program and I know what the funding is, I'm like, okay, well, how much am I getting paid to mm-hmm. add this on? So the, the path is not easy. <laughs> we don't have all the answers yet, but I'm very excited to have everyone join us on Tuesday. And like I said, please get connected to Lachlan National, the Chicago Metro chapter, um, and Izzy and I will be there to greet you on Tuesday. Outstanding. And did you have any notes that you wanted to make sure you got to, Izzy? Yeah, yeah. Um, Feeding off of what Ellie said, I also want to share, like, when a moment like that happens, and sometimes, you know what, you could also ask for it, and they say no. And you could ask for it again, and they say no. You can ask for it again, and they say no. And you did your three strikes, and sometimes you got to know, I I know what I'm worth, and, and... it's time for me to, to pack it up. And that's also a really hard decision to make um, because it's also part of being in your wallet, you know, it makes you have enough in there. But it's also like once you learn that I am making ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 less than someone, it starts to morally hurt. Like I truly am being valued less than the people around me, yeah. right? So sometimes it's making that big decision, but having like a strong group of, of people to coach you through it of siblings, of supporters, of family can really make that big difference. And frankly, the next job you can have could be something that allows you to open more doors for the people after you. Um, And one more thing, I do want to shout out to our other um, folks in the movement fighting for equal pay. Um, So our AAPI sisters make about 75 cents to every dollar. Our LGBTQIA siblings are making about... Um, about like, I think about 60 cents. It says here that their payday is June 15th. Uh, Mom's equal payday is September 8th because they're only making 58 cents for every dollar. Uh, Black women's equal payday is on September 21st. They only make 58 cents as well. And then uh, Native American women's equal payday, like we said, is about 51 cents to 49 cents. 
So we're all in it together. And, yep. and what it means to be a true ally is is both like if you're in the position to make sure that someone is compensated fairly. Why don't we compensate them fairly? Let's not let's not give them the lowest number and hope that they're going to ask for more, right? Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, but the other parts is it's so interdimensional. Of it is fighting for accessible health care. It is fighting for access to child care. It is supporting communities as a whole. And once we're investing in our our families and our communities, everyone does better, right? I, uh, look, here's the thing, uh, Lady B. You know what I just learned in this conversation with uh, with Izzy and Ellie? Uh, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> we might not have. I mean, because well, I was. There's no way in my 20s I'd be like, well, you know, if it's if if I didn't, uh, you know, three strikes and I could pack it up. I'm like, I guess that didn't work. I guess I'm, I'm stuck here. I mean, that that's something I've been trying to encourage people is to not be locked into what you think you're supposed to be doing based on other people's expectations or their restrictions. And uh, and it's taken me a long time to get there. So I'm glad that you guys see that and you're working together and I would love to have you both back in soon uh, sooner rather than later alright Ellie have a great night I look forward to meeting you in person very good thank you so much for having us and we hope to see you on Tuesday and again that's, that's uh, bit.ly forward slash Latina pay gap right 2022 2022 for registering for this amazing uh, event on December 6th at the National Museum of Mexican Art Thank you so much, Izzy. Bye, everybody. I'm going to wrap up in just a moment, and uh, we'll just we'll, we'll say goodbye in a minute. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Vasquez, Sorry about that. On WCPT <laughs> 820. I pushed the button, and I was like, ah, I'll take care of a few seconds. Oh, I probably have to. There's so many levers and buttons here, you guys. The fact that I make it through a single one of these shows is still kind of remarkable to everybody around me. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, for a great show today. Thank you to Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area. Thank you, Izzy Dobell and Ellie Behena uh, for their great conversation about Latina Equal Pay, uh, pay Day and the uh, pay gap. Let's continue to have those conversations. And it's not just about the pay gap. It, everybody should know their worth. I think that a lot of what both Izzy and Ellie said is something everyone can take to heart about where you are. Whether it's a a traumatic experience at work, uh, based on financial situation, a toxic workplace, know your worth. Know when it's time to go. And I know that's hard to say, but we'll talk about that more uh, in the future. Thank you, everybody, so much. Thank you, Lady B. Uh, We will have another great show tomorrow. Devil's Advocates are up next with Mike Crute. Good night, everybody.